Thank you. Actually, I've come here to learn rather than to teach because I want to learn what it takes to build a good professional army that is respected and loved by the people. This is the kind of army I want our Burmese Tamador to be, the kind of army it was meant to be when my father founded it back in the 1940s, early 1940s. Of course, to get rid of the British. But uh, <laughs> not because we didn't like the British, but because we loved freedom better. I think all of us have a right to be free. That is what human beings are made to be. We want to be free to assert our own identity, to be able to follow our conscience, and to live in a world where we are the equal of all others. The reason why I came to Sandhurst is to find out what leadership means in military terms as well as in human terms, because you cannot get away from the fact that soldiers are human beings as well. I, the very first British military man that I felt I got to know was General Slim, because I read his memoirs when I was quite young to try to get to know more about the war in Burma. And I liked him because he liked my father. It's a good reason for liking somebody. And he made the point that the reason why he liked my father was because he could do business with him. That also I like. A military should be about doing its own work. Every organization in the land must understand what its duties are, what its responsibilities are, and what is not for them to do. That is very important. Over the last several decades, actually over the last half century, which is a long time, I think none of you cadets are anywhere near that age, we have, our military has become politicized. This to me is not a desirable development. It was not meant to be that way. When early in the days of the new, uh, newly fledged Burma Independence Army, my father said, this was in Burmese, and I'll translate it into English. It doesn't sound quite the same because it rhymes in Burmese and it doesn't in English. But what he said was, that the country should not be the servant of the army. The army must be the foundation of the country. That is exactly what you are trying to teach people in Santos. You serve to lead. We had a small discussion this morning as to whether to serve to lead was the same as to lead to serve. And we came to the conclusion that it is not the same and it is better to put serve in front of lead because the essential thing is service. Service that is rooted in strong principles. You have to understand what service is in order to be able to serve correctly. I said earlier that the first British military figure with whom I became familiar was General Slim. And I want to talk a little bit more about him because uh, in a book about the Indian Army, uh, I, if I, A Matter of Honour is the title of the book, he was described by Philip Mason as a complete man. I thought that this was the greatest compliment that any man could be given, that he was a complete man. And Philip Mason wrote in this way, 
His success as a general was not so much because he was a brilliant tactician or a strategist as because of his moral and human qualities. He was a complete man, an integrated character following a straightforward course with modesty, courage, energy and resource. I agree with this assessment of a complete man. You can be a complete man whether you are a military man or a civilian. And what we need in our country is an army that recognizes the worth of civilians and the importance of civilian authority over the military. All of you here are trained for leadership. But I, what I find most interesting that is that all of you here are trained to be leaders under a civilian authority. This is something that you are taught, perhaps not so obviously, but this is the training that you receive every day, that although you are trained to be leaders, you also have to be followers, good followers. This again, we discussed this morning, does it, do you need to be a good follower to be a good leader? And the answer was yes. Because unless you know what kind of qualities are desirable in somebody who is leading you, you yourself will not be able to develop those qualities. Leadership ultimately is about making the right decisions at the right time. That is how I see it. And sometimes these decisions have to be made under enormous pressure. People may question, is physical hardship really necessary to develop leadership qualities? And I think the answer is yes. Not because there is virtue in physical really <coughs> suffering itself, in physical hardship itself, but because you have to be trained to develop what has been described as grace under pressure. Even under circumstances when you are under the greatest pressure, you must be able to keep a mind that is cool enough and quiet enough to be able to make the right decisions. The decision of somebody who is in a position of leadership can be crucial for all the followers. It can be a matter of life and death, not just for the one who makes the decision, but all those who are influenced by whatever decision he or she decides to make. So leadership is about the mind. This is why I agree with uh, Philip Mason when he said that it was because of his moral and human qualities that General Slim was a great general. In other words, a great leader, a leader of man a man who inspired confidence and trust. He, his book was entitled Defeat into Victory, and those who have read it will know that uh, the, the war in Burma was going very badly when he took over as the head of the 14th Army, but in the end he led it to victory. And that, I think, is what we are trying to achieve in every part of the world, to turn defeat into victory. Defeat comes in many guises. It can come in, a, in political guise, in military guise, in economic guise. Defeat is something that we all have to learn to cope with. But we have to learn to turn it into victory. 
without in any way compromising our own integrity. Victory at any price is not what a good leader strives for. Victory with his honour or her honour, as well as the honour of those who have trusted her or trusted him intact. So leadership for me means service in the sense of always putting one's followers ahead of one, in front of one. They are the ones who really matter, not you yourself who may be in a position of leadership, but whose worth will be decided only by what, you manage, what he or she manages to achieve for those who have accepted his or her leadership. I do not quite know whether all of you feel the same as I do about the necessary leadership qualities of our world, of which the army is only a part. Military men do not make up the whole world. Armies do not make up the whole world. They are just part of our world. And whether you like it or not, they are an essential part of our world. I, myself, have a great affection for the army. This has exposed me to much criticism, especially after decades of suffering under military dictatorship. Our people and those who support the movement of democracy for democracy are sometimes upset when I say that I have great affection for our army and also great hopes for it. But it is right that we should have respect and affection for an institution that is intended to be selfless. Selfless, I believe, is the core word for armies and for leaders, others before oneself. It's not for oneself that one should lead. That is why we, have, we say serve to lead. When General David Richards visited Burma a few months ago, we, he, we met him at the legislature and a question was put to him, uh, do the British people love their army? And he said yes. And he said very proudly that according to the polls, the British people admired the army more than they admired doctors and the medical profession. And then he was asked why. And his answer started with, because you were seen as selfless. He said, we are seen as selfless. We sacrifice ourselves for people. And he added, not just for our own people, but for people anywhere in the world who might be in need uh, of protection and of the kind of military defense that would give them more secure and fulfilling lives. So selfless is at the core of an honorable and respected <coughs> army. And that is what I want the army of my country to be. And this is what mainly I have come to find out from you, to learn from you who are learning to serve, to lead. What do you think is needed to make an army that for decades has held political power understand that there is nothing more honorable than a professional army which is interested not in political power but in helping in helping to uphold 
the will of the people, as expressed through the democratic institutions. Burma is starting out on the road to democracy, but we are just starting out. We are nowhere near there as yet. There are many changes that need to be made, and we want our army to be active in a positive manner in bringing about these changes, the changes that will make our country into the kind of nation where we can all feel safe and secure. Burma is a nation of many peoples. The United Kingdom only had to deal with the Welsh and the Irish and the Scots. We have many more than that. Uh, this is a great problem, especially as some of our ethnic nationalities took up arms decades ago, and we have yet to achieve a nationwide ceasefire. And a ceasefire is just the first step towards the kind of political settlement that will bring lasting peace to our country. So my presence here is one simply based on my desire to learn from you, not to teach you anything, because I do not think I have much to teach you, and, but I do hope that we will be able to exchange views and share our ideas of what it takes to build a world that is secure and at peace. In a sense, we were discussing over lunch that the new type of military is the one that tries to do itself out of a jaw. Because you want to get at the roots of conflict, to get at all those problems that lead to conflict and to eliminate them. And of course, if there were no conflict, there would be no need for armies. But it is very encouraging and very interesting for me to know how much you are doing in order to try to eliminate the reasons for conflict. That is what an honorable army should do. You should be there to defend people, to step in when it's necessary, but not to aggravate conflict or to encourage conflict in any way, but to deal with the conflicts that, uh, to, to deal with the problems that conflicts inflict on our world. It has always been a matter of interest to me that the ancient Greeks seem to have respected their heroes more than the gods. And it seemed to me the main reason was because heroes were mortal, and therefore they sacrificed a lot more in following their conscience and in trying to protect the people whom they wished to protect than the gods who were immortal and invulnerable. When Ulysses was given the choice either to remain a captive of a goddess or to go back to his own country, he chose to go back because he said he wanted to live fully like a man and he was prepared to accept mortality rather than to be an immortal and not meet the challenges which any human being, any brave human being, should be prepared to meet. So, like Ulysses, I think we are all on a journey, a voyage throughout life, as mortals, and we have to live as mortals as best we can, and to fulfill our own, our own potential as mortals as best we can. And I think this is one of the skills 
that scientist is trying to in, in, instill in its inmates, in all its cadets. The <laughs> no. But by the way, I must say that when, before I came here, I wondered whether scientist was really a modern institution or not. But when I found that it was well heated, I decided it was. <laughs> uh, if it was still kept as cold as it was in the 19th century, then it has not modernized. Um, so as, as we proceed uh, throughout life, I would like all of you to question what you think life is all about. Because one day it'll come to an end for all of us. And what do you want to look back on? What kind of life would you like to say you have led? What kind of legacy would you like to leave to your children, your grandchildren, and for those who have decided to remain single, your friends' children and grandchildren? What is it that makes it worthwhile to be a human being? I think this is one of the questions that we all need to answer if we are to be able to serve to lead. Because only if you know what you want as a human being, what your aspirations are as a human being, will you be able to fulfill the aspirations of others. And a good leader is one who should be able to bring out the best in her followers or, the best, or his followers, and to bring out the best in each individual. You have to understand of what he might or she might be capable and to respect it, and to know how to nurture it. A good leader is one who knows how to nurture. Nurturing is very important. Is it possible to turn people into leaders in 44 weeks? This is a question I ask myself, and I'm sure all of you will be able to provide better answers than I can, because I'm certainly not going to go through 44 weeks of the sort of experiences you're going through. I've no desire to do so. I think 15 years under house arrest is rather easier. <laughs> but but I, do, I do want to know what it takes, what you think it takes. Uh, I discussed the selection process, which I understand is very important, which means that there are people who have greater leadership qualities than others. What these qualities are, uh, I wonder what your opinion is compared to the opinion of those who recruited you. What are the qualities that you think make you fit to be leaders? Because leaders have to have confidence in themselves, which is not the same as vanity, uh, which is not, not the same as ego egoism. But unless you have confidence in yourself, nobody else can have confidence in you. Unless you are able to lead yourself, you will not be able to lead other people. So it's control. You have to be able to control yourself before you can control others. I read that uh, a commander during the Second World War uh, said, when he started out, when the war started out and, he had to, and they started taking in civilians, he thought that the, those who would make the best soldiers were the ones who were familiar with um, um, with such jobs as engineering or who were used to rough lives. 
But he said he discovered that, in fact, poets made better soldiers in some ways than engineers or athletes, that poets were the ones that he could best rely on for the most dangerous missions. And from that, he came to the conclusion that the best kind of soldiers had three qualities, a quiet mind, sufferance, and a sense of the ridiculous. Now, I think the last is extremely important. But a quiet mind, a quiet mind goes back to what I said earlier about decision making. Under the most trying circumstances, you have to be able to keep your mind controlled enough and quiet enough to make the right decisions for yourself as well as of, of, for other people. Because that's what a leader has to do. Always others first. That is what selflessness means. We are all human, and I don't think any human being is capable of total selflessness. The self is always there. It's always through the self that you have to relate to others. So selflessness is relative. Selflessness means recognizing that the self is there, but putting it behind those for whom you hold responsibility. So a sense of duty, a sense of responsibility, is one of the greatest requirements of those who would serve to lead. This has to be the guiding principle. But you also have to have the mental and physical skills to be able to make, put this sense of responsibility to work. We have a very simple uh, Buddhist idea. This is particularly with the Northern Buddhist sect, that to be a Bodhisattva, uh, that is a savior of beings, you need two qualities. You need wisdom and you need compassion. And this is explained in very simple terms. You may be the most compassionate person in the world, but if you do not have the right kind of wisdom, the right kind of intelligence, you can't save those whom you wish to save. On the other hand, you may be the most intelligent, the wisest person in the world, but if you have no desire, if you do not have the compassion to save others, you will not be able to do so. In a sense, this is true for the military profession as well. You have to have the desire to protect, to defend, to do the best for those whom you are serving. But at the same time, you, you need the skills and the ability to be able to do so. It's not enough wanting to serve. You have to know how best to serve. And I think this is what you are being taught here. And this is what I would like to hear from you. How you think you are taught to serve those whom you wish to serve. How best you, are, you, are, you can use your abilities to serve others. I want to leave a lot of time for questions and answers, so I just want to conclude now again by going back to Ulysses. Now this is from the, the, the famous poem by Tennyson. Uh, I never liked Ulysses when I read about him as a young girl because I thought he was a, a bit of a smart aleck and uh, not a bit sly, and I really didn't quite like what he did to the Cyclops, uh, which I didn't think was very kind. But uh, after I read Tennyson's poem, I changed my mind about him because I saw him in a new light. This was supposed to have been written when he was old and he had already handed over the reins of um, his um, country to his son. And he was 
thinking about his old comrades. And the end, the ending is well known, and I'm sure most of you know it already, but I hope you will allow me to read it again. We are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven. That which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. To me, these are the enduring qualities that make for good leadership. You may, the, Ulysses had been made weak by time, but sometimes you may have been made weak by circumstances, physical disability, other circumstances. But yet the will has to be there, the will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. I'm glad this starts with striving, because that should be an essential part of human endeavor. The desire and the ability to strive for something better. However weak you may be, you can always strive for something better. To seek, to strive to seek, to find. You strive and you seek in order that you may find. So it should not, should not be an empty exercise, but one with a goal. You do have to have ideals, goals. You do have to have a knowledge of what it is that you want from this world, from yourself, from others, from the society in which we live. So being a, a leader, to me, there is not a simple desire to serve, but to know how to serve and to have an idea of what you are serving for, what the ultimate goal is. You have to know where you are heading. If you don't know where you are heading, how will your followers know where they should go? Those who lead must know where it is that they're heading for, what the ultimate goal is, what they want to achieve, not just for the moment, not just for the next year, not just for the time that they are serving in the military, but for the time, and not even just for the time that they are on this earth, but for the times that are to come. To have a vision that goes beyond your immediate concerns. So to me, ultimately, that is service. A vision that goes beyond your, ultimate, your own ultimate concerns, that is meant to benefit mankind, because each and every one of you is part of that body of humankind that makes up our world today. Thank you.